Movies, if I'd rather be at the movies. I am Matt Donato. I'm Justine Browning. We're going to do a little bit different of a format moving forward because we are super busy people. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing these once every two weeks instead of mm-hmm. once every week. So uh, I know, you're all heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Deal you'll, with the grief. Work through fine. it. will be fine. You can get through this. But uh, <laughs> until then, you can expect us every other Wednesday instead of every Wednesday. We just have more to talk about. Absolutely. More movies. To or we'll forget about things to talk about. That's and true. I feel like that won't happen. But we'll try. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. I mean, you know. I want to start with Noah. Oh. Which is out. But I feel like we couldn't talk about it before this because and this is a little bit controversial, it wasn't screened in advance for that many members of the press. Arno and Matt Joseph got to actually attend the premiere with uh, Darren, the director that we all know and love. Oh, Darren. Ah, I'm so <laughs> jealous that he got to go. He actually got to leave South by Southwest and attend with only, I think there were, might have been five or four other major sites there, but Amazing. God bless Mr. Joseph and his travels <laughs> to Mexico. He made it back alive. And mm-hmm. he came bearing stories of oh, Noah. Of course. Um, it was screened in New York City, but again, it was a very small screening. And it was actually half full, so I guess maybe they didn't invite that many uh, reporters. I remember I actually got in as a guest of a friend. They wouldn't even, you know, let me into the screening. And I, would, I was actually discussing it on a TV appearance, and they still wouldn't. So I was wondering, oh, what kind of garbage are we going to get? I'm really scared. Um, the same thing kind of happened with Divergent, where... It, the embargo was the day of release. There weren't that many screenings. And so I was a little bit uh, nervous going in. And I found it to be very similar to The Fountain in many ways. The movie did in 2006, radically different than his earlier work, like Absolutely. Game for a Dream and all of that, um, where it really struggled to balance being a big budget film with being an art film. And, was really imaginative and creative with all these visuals, and then... Now you say struggle, though, so you don't think that it worked. I, I personally enjoyed it very well, but I felt that it could have been more even in terms of the way that it juggled that. Um, and the same, I think, is true for Noah. I thought the dream sequences that Russell Crowe was having at the beginning were... I thought they were really well done. He has a great visual eye. There's no way, like you said, yes. he works art form into mainstream movies. Mm-hmm. Noah was a bit of an action epic, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you have the glorious waterwork and these, you know, artistic shots. That I'll go back to Von Trier, how you can take a picture of some of his movies and you can hang it on your wall. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the I think those mo- these movies too, uh, like Noah, like you said. Yeah, there were a lot of beautiful shots, but I think also the script was... That was a pain point for a lot of people. You know, I didn't know what it, what story it was trying to tell. And to be honest, you didn't even need that much of a story because it was already so visually striking. A lot could have been said without that. And everyone knows the story, and I think that's the problem, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wanted to give the same story that we know and love from the Bible. I think he wanted to do something different, which is good. I mean... It's one of the oldest books in history. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've heard this story how many times? I'm sure, you know, go on any, you can go on any Christian network and find some random mm-hmm. Noah half-baked movie. To me, and, and this is odd because it's about Noah and his arc, when I came away from the movie, the person I was remembering the most was Emma Watson. Yeah. Because I thought she did something really phenomenal with a role that, you know, wasn't, was essential to the story, but it wasn't part of... 
the main, you know, like I said, it's Noah and the Ark. She wasn't it. Russell Crowe, basically. Yeah, she, was, she wasn't Russell Crowe, exactly. She wasn't one of the main attractions of the movie. She wasn't one of the people that was being, you know... Uh, Logan Lerman, too. I mean, his character, you're looking right. at the same mm-hmm. way. And I, mm-hmm. the supporting characters really were just supporting characters. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's Noah and the Ark. Right, and I thought that's that's kind of a mistake right there um, is that you walk away feeling so deeply for all the other characters and how he made them suffer and you yeah. don't come away caring about what what uh, Noah was doing or, or what <laughs> Noah stood for or not at least in my opinion and I thought we know the ending we're all alive that's the problem <laughs> spoiler alert yeah. yes but we we're knew the ending dead. of Titanic and most of us still stayed invested well that is, well, that is true as well <laughs> most of us well I mean um, you know, it would I mean no again a visually striking movie I would say Titanic mm-hmm. is visually James Cameron mm-hmm. killed it yeah killed I agree um, and I think with Emma Watson she's done you know a lot of interesting roles since Harry Potter and, uh, the bling ring and perks of being a wallflower very understated roles but this if anything shows us that you know this this actress is going to do a lot of amazing things. Oh, we, we knew that already. <laughs> it's Emma Watson. Cements it further. I, I mean, this is the end. I think that was it. That was her crowning oh, achievement. Yeah, come on. that's great. She busted. <laughs> steals everything. Oh, yeah. I'm not on. fucking around. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I love this is the end. I love this is the end. So I've been um, talking about that for days. But yes. So, going off Noah, there was a question posed mm-hmm. on the internet that I want to bring up. Yes. Because I think it's very interesting. Yes. And it's about these screenings that we go to. Not every movie gets mm-hmm. one of these screenings. Sometimes they're held. Sometimes they're held until the night of. Yeah. Sometimes us critics are forced to watch movies with the normies. <laughs> no, movie 43 I don't mean that. was a really famous I don't, I don't mean that seriously. A famous case. Oh, exactly. Where... So here's the question. There's two questions. Okay. I'm going to start with the first one. Does it affect your mindset going into a movie if it's not pre-screened? So, if you know there's no press screening, you don't get any invites, and you have to go to a midnight showing of said movie, does that affect your mindset at all? I think absolutely, and it really depends, because, you know, an example, Movie 43, I can't, that was like the most recent case I could think of where critics actually had to go pay the day of uh, to see it. With online media growing so quickly it doesn't have the same effect because people will go see the 11 o'clock screening on the East Coast and there will be reviews up immediately. And it doesn't have the same effect when, you know, people are primarily reading the newspaper or waiting for, right. you know, Roger Ebert to go on TV and tell them if they should see it. And so there's no reason to hide the movie um, because you can't. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be on the web how terrible it is. And then making the critic pay... <laughs> to go <laughs> in the middle of a work day um, and not a screen, you know, that's come on, that's gonna, that's already made them angry, and it's, it's, it, the review's gonna be a lot about that. Um, and again, that was, I mean, Devil's Do was my last mm-hmm, experience. And with we that. know how that worked out. <sighs> but yeah, I had to go to a midnight <laughs> showing, you know, mm-hmm. I was sleep deprived the next day at work because I had to watch Devil's Do at midnight so the mm-hmm. review could be done as quick as possible but mm-hmm. but again does it change your mindset where you're going in already going this is gonna suck uh, like you're already taking points off because well because it really depends if you go in thinking obviously this is terrible you're expecting the worst and then when you see it and you're expecting it to be terrible 
can it really live up to being as awful as you thought? Like, do you maybe give it a pat? You're like, well, that wasn't so terrible. All right. Like, you expected it to be atrocious, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. And maybe then you, you know, that benefits your opinion of the movie. I think if there's no press screening, I automatically assume that it's, it's just terrible. But I think it rarely happens that they just don't have one. Really, you can tell that the movie's terrible if not a lot of screenings are held. Um, and if they say the embargo for the review is the day of release, and that happened with R.I.P.D. Uh, I've had a few, yeah, the day of the day of release also makes me nervous as well because I'll get the screening two weeks in advance, mm-hmm. but then they're like, oh, you can't post a review until literally everyone has seen it at midnight already. Exactly. So it's like once that first wave of people got to experience that horribleness, like, then your reviews can go up. Right, and Divergent was the same thing, and that did not get anywhere near as bad as the reviews were for uh, R.I.P.D. Right. Um, you know, and that but it tried. <laughs> it tried. <to laughs> it almost did. Um, and we saw that that didn't really deter um, fans from seeing it. Well, um, something like that, though. The fans were going to turn out anyway. Maybe. Um, but but yeah, it was it was a semi surprise, and yet not. So I don't I don't even know how to categorize that. But it's not a shock that it did well. But it wouldn't have been uh, completely out of blue, uh, out of left field if it just did terrible and failed. Um, because so many movies like that have. But yes, there was a devoted fan base, and it did have legs and a lot yeah. of buzz. Um, I don't know. It's it's, it's See, a fascinating question. Um, I think I do get nervous. That's the thing. I get nervous mm-hmm. beforehand when something like that happens yeah. but I'm going to reference the horror genre specifically okay. because a lot of those movies don't get pre-screenings mm. and then you know I don't think that's always fair because no. obviously I'm going to I'm going to be for my favorite genre but okay. in the same respect a lot of those don't get screenings mm-hmm. and then I end up going and paying for it and loving the movie so the fact that I've been through this so many times just with horror movies alone mm-hmm. I'm okay with it to a degree. Not okay with it. Of course, it makes me angry that, you know, I have to pay to see it. I I sound like such a terrible person. (laughs) Really, I mean, we're complaining about paying for movies. That's pretty much, you know, the worst thing. (laughs) I'm totally fine with complaining about it. Yeah, I'm totally fine with complaining about it. Because we don't get a lot lot of benefits in this business. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. I guess free movies is the one. Free movies is sometimes weird. But um, I guess yeah. I'm able to separate that mindset. Because this was a question posed online, and some critics did say, absolutely, they think badly of a movie if it doesn't get that pre screening. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that right there is kind of, you know, scary enough on its own. We talked about a specific time, actually, like in the last podcast, about Red 2, where yeah. the screening was delayed and delayed, and they started giving us food and drink, and so automatically people yeah. started to say... <laughs> Why are they getting us drunk? <laughs> this is Why terrible. do they not want us to remember this? And I remember being in a really bad mindset, and like, ugh, I'm going to walk out. I'm just going to see some of it, and then I'm going to leave. Like, uh, you know, I'll get us... And I was like, I wanted I more. Red. Like, I enjoyed it so much, and not a lot of people Not many people did. did. That was it. Maybe it was because we were... <laughs> That we, we were drunk on studio, whatever studio yeah. that was. Some entertainment, they're very smart over there. <laughs> so that was um, something, you're right. Okay, they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. but okay, this is part two, though, okay. and this is where you're gonna say something now because you're so adamant against this. Uh-oh. But is there anything wrong with making critics wait to see it with gen- the I general? Know what? As we were talking, actually, I was thinking that, um, to me. A lot of the reviews and the articles written before the movie comes out really ruins the movie a lot. I mean, if you and I've I've, I've had people um, 
like I'll say a movie's really great. I just, I saw the screening last week and it's wonderful. You should see it. And they're like, I don't need to. I read the review. It it ruined the whole movie. Yeah, but see, that's what a review is. And people have to understand that a review is going to have things about the movie. We no, but sometimes it goes further than that. I think. I think sometimes it really spoils. I remember reading something uh, about side effects before it came out, way before it came out, and it blew the whole ending. But, like, an article or a review itself, though? Um, it was kind of both. Because if you're going into a review of a film before seeing it, I won't read a review until after I watch the movie. That's the whole point of a review to me. Right, but again, the people who are writing about the movie, even in an article, they've screened it, right? And right. so press speculate and write about it and do all these things. And I think it takes away from the way that the public is going to feel it. Like, you're saying, okay, I don't read other reviews before I see it because you don't want it to influence how you right, think. Right, 100%. And so a lot of people, they know everything there is sometimes about the movie before they see it. And I think it's really interesting. So every now and then I'll go to a screening just based on the title. Like, oh, that seems cool. I won't read anything about it. And it's amazing how different it is. Like, I, I love experience. doing that. Yeah, just pop into a screening because you had mm, a free night or whatever. And it's it's always really fascinating, and I think so. You really don't get that often. I mean, sometimes the trailer gives so much away, yeah. clips give so much away. Um, I guess yeah, in the digital age, oh, like, we so live much in is an available. era where everyone wants everything spoiled, and I don't understand it. But I remember uh, going to a movie and the the uh, Dark Knight Rises trailer came yeah. on, and the person I was with covered their eyes and ears. Because they didn't want And hummed. <laughs> I, I respect that. I respect that 100%. And I was like, wow, I didn't even think of that. Like, how cool would it be if you haven't seen, if you've been able to stay away Not from every piece, image? Especially a movie like that. Like, yeah. So, so you're right. I, I think if it was framed right, um, and it was oh, this movie we don't want anyone to show. You know, we don't want to show anyone because we're so confident that if people experience it yeah. all together, then it will have a lot, uh, more, I guess, a greater impact. That's a different thing, but I don't think that's even really been done with a good movie that often. When does it really happen? Not really. I mean, I think movie? my main arguments here, I'm actually going to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a bad move because, A, you're going to have so many people not reviewing the film, mm -hmm. number one. Devils do. Number one is a horror movie. Number two, it screens opening night. There right. were no screenings. And I mean, that's a movie that has maybe like 30 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Which, I mean, a good mainstream movie will have, what, 100-something, yeah. 200 reviews? Mm -hmm. This one, nobody saw it because it was the day of. Mm -hmm. Critics don't want to, I mean, unfortunately, critics don't want to pay for it. They're not going to do that. And I mean, especially if you think about it from the point of, number one, Grand Budapest Hotel was supposed to be shown... Uh, it came with instructions from Wes Anderson on how oh, studios okay. should, should show it to be the proper uh, cinematic quality. And certain cin uh, cinemas didn't do it still. So number one, mm. say say they did that for Grand Budapest Hotel, which they never would, but let's just pretend they did. Right. And a critic showed up to see it, and the whole framing was wrong right. on the screen. Right. Number one, that's points off right there for a review. Like, they're going to be like, I didn't see the proper film okay and i mean the other thing too is oh man audiences suck <laughs> like getting stuck in the wrong movie it really puts you in a bad movie at midnight. you know that's my only problem i'm like there the to do yeah i'm sorry i'm still thinking of the devil's do. <laughs> if you were in that crowd you suck you i know, don't mean this that's a really else. really interesting point because i remember and we've discussed this actually at length and of course um twilight the last one yeah. 
why did the last one get more decent reviews than the others? I mean, not not much more decent, but why? why barely, were, yeah. Why were critics more like, ah, yeah, it's kind of fun. Beaten in submission. Right? Because it's <laughs> beaten in submission. But I think with this one specifically, they screened the movie for critics and mixed them in with the fans. And part of the fun of going to a Twilight movie, and a lot of those movies, like Diverge or whatever, is seeing how the people react. I can see that. And we were talking about how the way fans reacted to the ending of Twilight, which deviated a little from the book, was similar to the way audiences reacted to Psycho yes. when Janet Lee got murdered, yeah, yeah. gasping okay. and clutching one another. And I think it... it I guess it does I, elevate the atmosphere a little bit. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, this critic that I know said that in his review, because of that, he wrote, it's terrible. Go see it opening weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the only way to see it. But then again, my problem again, I'm going to go back to Devil's yes. Do because I couldn't enjoy myself. I couldn't sit there and enjoy the movie because I had people talking behind me. Mm-hmm. I had radios going off. Mm-hmm. I, I talked about this already. It, I was distracted the whole time. Well, it's and like, it was a midnight show. This is going to be in New York. So there's going to be some weirdos in there. So I if mean, they had screened it at six with like a bunch of horror fans and critics, it might have been different. Exactly. And gave them booze. Nah, it would have been different. Just give me booze. I think that's <laughs> the real thing to do. That's here. what this podcast is now going to be called. Give me booze. I'd rather be. I'd rather be boozing during movies. No, and I think the last point on this, though, too, you know, it's my job to write about the movie. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. I write reviews. I write articles. I mean, I'm balancing this with a day job. So I think coming from my perspective, and so are a lot of critics. A lot lot of critics critics are. This this is not the main job. I have a life. I was going to say, I have a nine to six that pays for my bills, and then I get to do this at night, which I am so grateful Mm -hmm. for. And hopefully someday this will be my full-time job. But that's not my thing right now. So it's like, if I have to see a movie at midnight, that review still isn't getting done until that weekend because I get home, God knows when, 2.30, 3 o'clock. I have to be up in, what, three hours <laughs> for work? So I'm up for work, and then I'm at work all day. So it's like that review, and then, then it's my weekend. Right. Now you've cut into, like, you know, I'm not going to do it on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hope I wake up at a reasonable mm-hmm. hour on Saturday. And do it. It, it just prolongs yeah. the review and the works. Otherwise, like, I love a Monday night screening for a movie. You know, Captain America. It yes. was great. I could Ooh, see it on Monday. Transition to that, then? Like, I just got, like, I have questions. <laughs> The f- Winter Soldier. I almost said the first Avenger. That was the first one. So, The Winter Soldier comes out this weekend. One of it, It's one of the biggest hype movies that we have coming out yes. anytime soon. And thankfully it should be, mm-hmm. because I saw it on Monday. And my review, it pretty much states everything that I loved about it. Um, and this is coming from somebody who did not like the first Captain America. The first Avenger. Okay. So... Do you want me to talk about Captain America 2 first, or do you want to talk about our different views on Captain America 1? We can talk about that. I thought it was just really light, right? now. See, that's why I didn't like it. Okay. Perfect. This is perfect. And this is something that that people have talked about a lot, is like, these Marvel movies, these superhero movies, versus some of the other ones that have come out, they don't try to make this serious, serious story. If you think about Batman, Samantha is a freaking bat fighting crime. Like that's so stupid. And a butler. You really, yeah. Okay. And it's so dark and serious. And an adolescent sidekick. Okay. <laughs> yes. But I thought why people love the Avengers so much was because it just it was 
it made fun of itself. It was yeah. ridiculous. And but I mean, but in the, it was serious in the same tone. I mean, yes, you have a group of superheroes. Think about the okay, the, the recent Superman, like where the Man trailers with the with the violin music and he's you know he's what was it? The, Is the, that your the like, serious voice? <laughs> voice? <laughs> that was, serious he voice. was born and grew up into a man. It's like ugh, he's a man in a cape and fights. Like <laughs> well, let's laugh also about that. Superman. I mean, he can't die, you know. Exactly, but it, it right, but it was just the most. Okay, Krypton. It was the serious. Sorry, I'm not gonna nerd out on you. Nerd. Don't yell at me. Anyway, the serious. Yes, right. Really and I think with Captain America, not only was the cast great, but it was just colorful and fun, and it really, I think it, it was a little bit campy in terms of the way that it went I think for it was extremely campy. the time period. Um, I love the chick in the movie. She was badass. Yeah. She, was, she was still feminine, and you know, but she had a gun and knew how to <laughs> she use it. She was feminine, but she could but shoot you. She could you. shoot you. Uh, like, is I that love your that. basis? That's your basis for feminism. You know if, what? They, <laughs> if they have a gun license. <laughs> but I thought I thought she was just a great character, and I liked their their little flirtatious relationship. Their it wasn't too over the yeah. It wasn't too over the top. It was really fun to watch. Um, and it was really clever. I thought it was so clever in so many, so many years. See, I thought the whole lightheartedness was rather silly. Mm-hmm. It kind of fed, the whole movie kind of like fell into this. It was like propaganda for the time period almost. Mm-hmm. Captain America was this goofy <laughs> caricature of American patriotism and okay, this lame kind of like gag spewing. Ah, it, it just okay. felt like one like PSA the whole time. Oh, kind of, and we'll put it to rest. <laughs> no, that's fine. And I mean, I loved his team. Mm-hmm. I loved. Yes, I thought they went together. So. Oh no, the team was great. He was with. I mean, you had uh, Bucky there, and you know, Bucky does his thing. He, he has a role for being there. But in the same respect, every time something awesome was going to happen, they went to that montage of like hoorah music. That's and true. There were a I lot. I was of so montages. furious because they kept montaging all the fun stuff. And then you see Captain America, like, dancing on stage, like, I, I doing something silly and okay, promoting himself. I see what you're saying. And I get it. He was the icon of that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the serum makes him crazy, like, this crazy superhero, yeah. and that was part of the story. I get that. He was supposed to be this person on a pedestal, right. but in the same respect, we lost everything mm-hmm. that he was actually mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. In the moment. Okay. Like I said, they go through like three of those bunkers or whatever they were saying. That's a really good point about the montage. And they just montage it. That's it. They montage all the exciting stuff and then they just fast forward it. So then does that not happen in the sequel? No, not at all. Really? Um, I I don't want to blame directors or anything, but I mean, Joe Johnston really screwed the pooch on that. Okay. Um, I did not like his take of Captain America. So then the Russo brothers come in. Yes. They murdered it. They did wow. such a good job with Captain America because we had the full transition from First Avenger. Mm-hmm. Then you start to see in the, the Avengers um, when he has that transformation into not trusting Nick Fury and, you know, he's all about, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. shouldn't yeah. be, you know, freedom but not an overwhelming freedom from somebody overlooking you. Mm-hmm. And then Captain America, the Winter Soldier, is that's like his dark turn. This is, like, it's finally gritty where it needs to be, and he is this jaded superhero where he's missed a huge chunk of life. And, yes, he's normally chipper and having fun and 
you know, he's right. still there's still a few one-liners, and he has a great relationship with Black Widow in this. I love Scarlett Johansson. I think she's one of the best Marvel characters we have, uh-huh. and she needs her own movie, and uh-huh. that makes me furious. But they have a great chemistry, and her mysterious background makes it even better because basically all Cap's trust issues really come to surface, and that's part of the plot. I'm not going to reveal anything. I'm not going to blow this for you guys, but. It really just kicks into gear from moment one. We get action tapped immediately. There's a siege on a boat, and you know, uh, Captain America, Black Widow, and a team of like special ops agents have to defeat pirates immediately, right off the bat. Okay, so they hit the ground running. Yeah, you you hit the ground running, and visually, it is an achievement for the grand spectacle that they put on. I mean, I like all the Marvel movies. I think there have been some really cool scenes. You know, Iron Man 3, we have, you know, all the mobile suits at the end. That was really cool. Um, the Avengers, obviously. I don't put the Avengers in the same spot because that was always going to be a grand spectacle. But, um, I mean, in Thor 2, you have him going to other worlds. You have Asgard. So each one of those movies have their own really big moment. And Captain America didn't have that. I don't... Nothing stands out to me in Captain America. Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier... Yeah. There is the end, the entire end battle sequence. Mm. I mean, it's awesome before that, and there's a lot of really cool like action elements that were missing, but the ending is so freaking awesome. He's not dancing on stage in any of this. No, no, this is a cat <laughs> that is completely just into ass kicking mode and figuring okay. out you know why the Winter Soldier is you know killing people. Exciting. And it's really cool too because they kind of acknowledge the uh, supplemental chaos that comes out of these Marvel mm-hmm. movies. Again, not to, not where it should be. This okay. isn't an R-rated movie. You're not getting, you know, c- civilian... We'll talk about that in Sabotage, actually, when we talk about okay. Sabotage. Um, but you're not getting that craziness of, like, a building collapses and you're like, well, are they going to acknowledge, like, the probably thousands of people that just died? No, they're not. It's still a Marvel okay. movie, so they still fast-forward it. But, like, there's more of that, you know innocent bystander chaos really? in this, and they address it and okay. it was really this this was fun they were able to balance the lightheartedness of Captain America with an actually true gritty superhero movie of someone that's you know this man is is jaded <laughs> oh wait <laughs> shout out to Anthony Mackie too because Falcon oh. rules Falcon the man okay I can't wait to see more of him um so you mentioned Sabotage. Yeah, let's go to Sabotage. That movie came out. And the trailer for that... Oh, God. I enjoyed because it was ironically... It was, it was ironically over the top. It doesn't know what it wants to it be. It doesn't know what it wants to be, uh, but that intrigued me in the trailer. No, I, that's usually good. Cheesy 80s action is, like, my favorite genre. So when you saw it, does the movie still not know what it wants to be? Nothing. Okay. It, it is the most bipolar movie I've ever seen because you is get that these. Good? <laughs> no, it's terrible because you get these really fun action sequences, but it's also like the goriest movie I've ever seen. Oh, not ever seen. Sorry, that I've seen a lot of horror movies. Doesn't come across in the trailer, I don't think. No, it doesn't. No. Honestly, this it's is like Saw level like oh. gore. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is so brutal. The violence that goes on, like you're watching people get shot directly in the head, like. It looks real. I mean, if you saw End of Watch, the violence was very in your face. And it made more sense, director. though. In, oh, okay. Right, it made more sense there. In this, yeah. you have Arnold's team 
made up of really funny actors like Sam Worthington, um, Joe Mangiello yeah. from True Blood or whatever you know her from. Yeah, I have to ask about uh, Muriel Enos. Yeah, there from you go. The killing. Too. She's freaking phenomenal. On she the is, and her character starts out really cool because she's okay. that badass chick that's yeah. I like that she was like one of the guys in the trailer, it seems. She was, <laughs> and then she falls into the same tired female oh, no. character type. That was going to be my next all. question. They absolutely butcher it. I put that in my review. I usually don't touch on stuff like that. I have to admit, That's I'm bad with that job. kind of stuff. That's you. <laughs> but even I was like, really? you started out so well, you had a really cool female character, and you completely let her turn into a plot point. Oh, That's it. Wow. She goes from character to plot point because she's a woman. <sighs> Terrible. So the one redeeming thing that I would have thought... And here's <laughs> the biggest problem. Here. Because it doesn't know if it wants to be that next really gritty action movie that takes itself seriously. Okay. And again, oh my god, the civilian casualties in this movie, it doesn't shy away. Like, there's people getting shot in the face just for walking by. There's like... Wow. One of the characters oh, yes. is driving and... It's Terrence Howard. That's right, Terrence Howard's in this. Yeah. He's driving, speeding through a busy street, and he hits a biker. And, like, her head explodes in the windshield like a watermelon. And then you just see her, like, bloody face, like, through the windshield, and he's trying to drive. And it's like, I'm saying like too much. I'm sorry. I have to stop doing that. But, no, it's so insanely graphic. And that makes it one of those movies that tries so hard to be realistic, and you go, great. That's cool. You're giving us proper effects. Right. And you're really going for it. But Arnold does not fit there one bit. Okay. Because Arnold needs that sense of humor. Raid 2, I think, is a good segue. We're talking segue. about violence, I was going to say. If we're talking about violence, we might as well go to the Raid 2. And I was just talking about this. I liked the parts of the movie that weren't too graphically violent. Did you see the raid? <laughs> Did you know what you were walking into? You know into? what? Actually, that's I didn't. I, oh, I didn't. Mistake and, number one. Right, and I think, but it's important to note that this movie stands on its own, which is good. It does, but it immediately follows the raid. I, I know, but it's well, bizarrely enough, you can still watch it and, and totally right. follow it. Oh no, I completely agree because they actually tie the tie-in is very which small. Probably wasn't easy. I mean, I really thought that was great how they did that because I true. knew that it picked up right after. And there's so many movies that do that, and there's no way you're gonna follow them. No. Uh, Matrix this Three. Could, it could be a, <laughs> no way. With one simple cut, this could have been a standalone. Right. A simple cut exactly. would have been a standalone. I agree. And. Uh, I did like there was this emotional gravitas to it. Um, I thought that grounded the story really well. Um, yes, there were some violent scenes like Hammer Girl on the Subway that I thought were great. And I do think the way they staged a lot of the fight sequences was so interesting. And, and it wasn't the tired old garbage that you usually get oh. uh, with stuff. <laughs> with, with Martial, uh, I'm gonna say martial arts film, but with films that have that are we can just say action films. I mean, just the way action, action films, films in general, being yeah. Set up and it's Hollywood versus what Gareth Evans is trying to do, exactly. Is, he's in his own world over in Indonesia doing what he yeah. wants, and this is the awesomeness that he's coming out with. And then you compare that to American action movies, and they don't compare, honestly. I when I try to compare them, mm. it, it's like trying to fit the square block and the screw hole, uh, it doesn't work. But I think even with, you know, somebody, and again, it depends on your sensibilities. Like, for me, something like Drive, when it turned that corner into total, utter violence, I couldn't really you know, watch it anymore. Um, 
it, it's it's not something that you know gets to everybody. Some people don't mind it, right. but I think you know, especially if it's sabotage where it's looking real, I think that's a different story. Here, it is over the top, and like you can tell it's. But it still has that sense of realism in a way. But it's, it's so outrageous. Yeah. Oh that my god! It's, I think it it's not as bad as when you watch sabotage. When you have probably. two of your main villains, one being a girl that carries hammers around, the Maybe other being girl. a man with a baseball bat mm-hmm. who can. Exactly. Hit the ball on a soft toss and right. hit his opponent. Oh my! It, see, here's the thing: if you saw the raid, I think you would appreciate the raid two way mm. more. Because number one, I love the raid. Okay. Again, what Gareth Evans is doing for action movies is, I, uh, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't even. Okay. But with what he does versus the raid, mm-hmm. raid is one building. Raid is contained, mm-hmm. so it's just action on different floors. Mm-hmm. The Raid 2 is everything that he, like, could play with. It was like a sandbox for him. And that was him blowing everything out of proportion. He introduces new gangs. Like I said, Hammer Girl, baseball bat guy. He has fun with the characters. Everyone has personality. But he also brings back um, his lead actor, Iko, who, again, he is a rising talent in the action world. And I cannot wait for him to come to America Mm -hmm. and be an Expendables movie and absolutely kick everybody's <laughs> ass because no one's going to be able to keep up with him. And I mentioned that. I did an awesome interview with the director of The Raid, The Raid mm-hmm. 2. I got to talk to him about everything. He was such a cool guy. So go on the uh-huh. site and check that out. It's about 20 minutes long. So anything you want to know about The Raid, The Raid 2, The Raid remake coming out, which has me very nervous because mm-hmm. it's Americans taking care of it. Let's and if you think about, about that. <laughs> the, Hemsworth, the Hemsworths are being kind of like Recorded, I guess you can call it. Question. I'm rolling my eyes. I know. See. They're going to be possibly the people who are playing the brothers in The Raid 3 2. And that terrifies me because it's not the same kind of action. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Gareth talked about this, but it's going to be a completely different movie. Right. It's going to be that lumbering, bruising, you know, body slamming action that we get over here versus The Raid's. Picking Sila, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but that's the type of Indonesian martial arts, which is like a ballet on its own. And that's the fight sequences go, I'm sorry, yeah, the fight yeah. sequences go. The choreography is amazing. That's what I was going to say really quick, is like, uh, I loved Haywire. That's super violent, but I Haywire. loved Haywire. Uh, the first Matrix, because the fighting looks like a dance. It's really beautifully done, and I think sometimes you don't need, especially this film proves you don't need a massive budget to... Uh, appeal to people. Um, that's that was one of the things I really appreciated, and that that car chase, I thought was incredible. Everything is down to the second. It's not even, you know, henchmen over on one side of the room, henchmen on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. There's a scene contained in a car where one man is fighting numerous people trying to get into a car, mm-hmm. or there's a scene in the bathroom stall. A man is fighting a group of people in a bathroom mm-hmm. stall, and every move mm-hmm. is so fluid and yeah. flawless. And here's the other thing. You don't you don't see any of the edits. Think about it. Think of how well the raid two flows. You're not noticing the cuts. Very true, yeah. That's so that. impressive yeah. with how chaotic it is. I didn't even notice until you said it. Exactly. How chaotic it is really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, actors are flying around going between different, you know, henchmen, we'll call them. And you, it's it just it's one fluid motion. You don't see anything. There's no misstep. Everything is so calculated. And to contrast that, 
I just thought I'd bring up a smaller movie that I think kind of just serves as an alternative to these bigger, more action-y, blockbuster-y, I don't even know, kind of movies. Um, it's called Breathe In, and it's not for We're everybody. I'm going to go Guy Pierce on this right after talking about all these I action know, I have movies. to. Oh. Um, it's by, uh, it was directed by Drake uh, Dormus. And if you remember, he did like crazy a couple of years ago. Like crazy. And just as he did with that, he takes this and you have a very simple premise that he puts his own unique stamp on that he draws it out in a very interesting way. Um, and, you know, it's essentially Guy Pierce and Amy Ryan are married. They live in the suburbs. And, uh, a lovely foreign exchange student played by Felicity Jones uh, comes to stay with them and, you know, go to high school for a semester, I believe. And it's funny because she's 30 playing an 18-year-old, and you cannot tell that she is not 18. And, um, of course, that stirs things up in the household. But, again, a very cliched story. How many times are we going to see the story of, you know, a, a suburban family isn't everything that you think? You know, what? That they have problems, too. We've seen that time and time again, but I think this is just a little bit different. Um, Guy Pierce is a musician or... I guess he wants to be more of a musician than he is. He's a, he's a music teacher, but obviously has such a passion for... He wants to perform. He wants, wants to the perform. stage. And I think right off the bat, his wife says, oh, he has this great hobby of being a musician. And he's like, it's not a hobby. I mean, you can tell that he just is so passionate about it. She shares that love of music as well. And so I thought just the way music was used, the way tone was used, the atmosphere um, was was enticing, um, but it is staged like a European movie in many ways, where it takes its time. So not every scene is serving the narrative and moving it along. I think half of it would have been cut if it was being released by a major studio, and it wouldn't be being released by a major studio, but you know, just the time that it lingers, certain shots linger, um, I think to some that might be refreshing. I'm going to take my time and just enter this world and be with this family and, and then I'm going to leave in a couple of hours. Um, but I have to note, it is very similar to a film called Nobody Walks that came out a couple of years ago. Um, very, very similar to the point where it's like, plagiarism a little bit. <laughs> is this I the have, same movie? It, it's really close. If you look at the summaries of both of the movies... It's suspiciously similar, but again, nobody saw Nobody Walks, so and they can get away with nobody's it. gonna see this, and so don't, you know they could just keep don't doing the same thing. Like um, unfortunately, I think it just it doesn't have the legs that like Crazy did. It hasn't yeah. had that. Um, I mean, I saw TV commercials for it, so I was actually impressed on that oh, they actually. Got I didn't even to know that. No. Okay. I forget what I was watching, but I that did come out, so I was like, oh, touche, breathing. Wow, that's that's actually nice to hear. Um, but yeah, it's not. I don't it's getting any more. No, again, which is, it was just, just a, a nice shame little indie to suggest. Yeah, um, but then there's there's a smaller one coming out as well called Don Hemingway. Don um, Hemingway. The reason I'll just quickly mention it is because it's a lot. It's it's colorful. It's fun, but it's it shows how Jude Law has changed as an actor. I've noticed that in his last few roles, um, or more major roles like Anna Karenina. Uh, and side effects as well. He is trying to downplay being a good-looking guy. He is, you know, for this he gained weight. He's very bald. <laughs> um, 
and being the offbeat, bizarre character, and that's working for him. So I he think wants to get out of that stereotype of look at me, I'm all pretty and like we first met him in Talented Miss Ripley. He was yeah, like you know exactly. the good looking guy on the yacht with the great life, and now he's the down on his luck, you know, guy just getting out of prison who goes home and becomes the good looking guy. <laughs> who gradually, gradually, in a montage, in works a... out, quits drinking, and gets his life together. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. Great supporting cast, uh, including Richard E. Grant and yeah. Damien Bashir, who's awesome. Shout out to Bashir. Um, and that's that's what I'll say about the smaller movies. Back to you. <laughs> oh, I have some equally smaller movies I'm uh, sure everyone will love. Yes. Because I give horror recommendations. Okay. <laughs> so you get to listen to me now really quick. Number one, Afflicted. I absolutely love this movie. I hate found footage. It's really wearing me down. I'm drowning in it. I'm watching too many movies like Happy Camp that are just oh, terrible and Alien Abduction, which... That does not sound good. No, not at all. <laughs> Produced by Drew Barrymore's production company. Flower Flower? Yeah, what? anyway. No. My God, what a piece of garbage. Anyway, Afflicted is not. Afflicted is one of the best horror movies I've seen in a while. It's going to definitely be in my top ten. There's no doubt in my mind. And that's getting a lot of buzz. That's going to do well. It is. It's getting a lot of buzz, and I'm yeah. so happy it is. And it's so simple. It's just about two friends that go on a year-long kind of independent adventure because they never left the country or anything like that so they want to go around so many countries they just want to do everything they want to see everything and one of them is he's ill with some type of disease that's basically he can become very sick at any time and you don't know why but the, that's a reason to him to do this trip with his best friend because if he can die at oh, any time, why would you that's not? That's just so sad for a heart. Yeah, but no, it's I mean, it's a great story though because it's two friends growing out and you know traveling together. Then he has an encounter with I don't I don't know if I want to give this away. He has an encounter. His friend thinks it's the sickness transforming him, but it's something else. And I think dot, that's, dot, dot. that's where I have to leave this because Please do. You I don't, don't want to spoil it. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it. But it's found footage. It is incredibly creepy. Mm. The performances are phenomenal. Wow. These are two indie filmmakers that have really it, hit it out of the park. Okay. I, I just I don't I don't want to say anymore. Go see Afflicted, look it up. And how does it compare to some of the other found footage films that you were pointing out recently that you thought were really great? Like how, the Chat Roulette. Um, oh, The uh, Den. I yeah. really like, okay, I really like The Den because it was unique and it yeah. did something that no other film has really done mm-hmm. in, in filming in that type of Chat Roulette yeah. setting. So Afflicted kind of goes along with the way, the genre mm. that it attacks Again, I'm trying to leave it completely okay. out there. Okay. The genre that it attacks, it deals with it in a way that it really hasn't been dealt with okay. before. That's and the found cool. footage helps, and it doesn't hurt. And that's, that's the problem that's with so thing. many. It's, a ch- it's just footage, doing that because... You can see it the most time. They aren't running around like idiots shaking the camera so you can't see what's going on. No. The effects are phenomenal, so they don't want to hide them. So you get to see everything. Mm-hmm. It... Cliff Prowse and Derek Lee are the directors, writers, and stars. So mm-hmm. they just do everything. And Derek Lee is the one that goes through this transformation. And he's, like, contorting his body. And he's ah. he looks the part completely. It, yeah, okay. Right. I'm, I'm leaving it there because you'll have to see it. And I don't want to ruin anything. It, it's afflicted. Go see afflicted. 
horror fans, you have to see this. My second one I'm going to do really quick is Wolf Creek 2. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see mm-hmm. Wolf Creek? You did see Wolf Creek, so I'm, I'm assuming you didn't like it. Did you? Yes. Oh. You can argue with me. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, no. I don't want to get into that. Because I, I can't remember why I hate Sorry. It was very gory, very over the top. That's what it is. <laughs> Sorry, this longer it's I mean, not gonna hold weight. <laughs> I'm a horror fan, so I'm gonna say Wolf Crew Two succeeds because it oh, keeps really? that same kind of insane vibe. Um, John Jarrett plays Mick Taylor, who is one of the he's one of the best killers that the horror genre has seen lately. Does it pick up? Like, how does it relate to the first one? It's really more the same. I mean, okay. it just continues the story of Mick Taylor okay. being this crazy Australian man who just kills people. Not people, sorry. Vacationers and foreigners because they're tainting his land. Right. Don't go in the outback if you're not Australian. Oh, because I'm getting chills because I'm recalling scenes now. And he will gut you like a From pig. the first one. Oh, this is so gory and, and so violent. his creepy voice and accent. And That's I've the never... thing, though. Half Ugh. of his accent is inaudible to Americans or anyone else, but... No subtitles? Oh, I'm getting yeah. chills. It like might need thing. subtitles, but that's the thing. You're getting chills because John Jarrett does such a good job at being Mick Taylor. Mick Taylor is Shaking a my terrifying no. man. Because he's talking to you. He's charismatic. He is a man that you kind of want to sit down he's and have a drink Bundy with. the of the Outback. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. There are scenes where he's not just torturing you physically, he's torturing you mentally because he's enjoying what he does so damn much. And I'm going to sound insane, but the horror genre needs a villain that enjoys what he does this much. We don't have that anymore. This is an incredibly dark movie, (laughs) but don't laugh at me. That's such a really funny thing to say. I know. But it makes sense. It's... A funny movie. Well, it takes itself yes. completely not seriously, As you're saying but that, it is so insanely terrifying in the sense that well, because if you think of think of Alan Arkin in Wait Until Dark, <laughs> I love Alan Arkin. Okay, I just love him Alan anyway. Arkin in Wait Until Dark, heroin addict, torturing poor Audrey Hepburn who's blind in her East Village apartment, and he's having a blast at it. Yep, mostly because he's Nailed on it. heroin. Oh, yeah. Anything um, sounds fun on everything. But, you know, that's what I'm thinking of, and that is one of the scariest villains. I mean, that people still talk about, so it's, it's an interesting point. You exactly. You have to have fun with it. <laughs> you it, have I to mean, have fun killing people. And, and there's one thing, right. I mean, kill, there's the overproduced killer some, from some independent movie. Of course, he goes over the top with how much he has fun, and it just gets ridiculous. But, I man, John Jarrett. And this okay. is his best. He's done other horror things in between, obviously. They haven't really panned out. Mm. He worked with uh, Daniel Harris on one movie. And again, he tried to have that, like, vibe of, like, creepy uncle guy who's also a killer. But it just didn't work. It just works for Wolf Creek 2. Okay. This, this is, like... Stamp of approval. Stamp of approval. Says, yeah, I mean, just... See Wolf Creek 2. Hardcore. Um... Any Blu-rays coming out that we should talk about? This is up to you. I don't really quick, you I just yeah. have to mention too uh, from that I think you should just check out. They're re-releasing Fargo, a remastered version. I they can't, they yeah. did today. It's Tuesday. I might April have Fools to. Day. Oh man, April <laughs> Fools. We're April not... Fools. Everything we just said was was a lie. Backwards. I liked everything. You have to go re- re-listen to the podcast. I liked afflicted. He liked breathe in. It's weird. <laughs> uh, yes, it's like the sixth sense. If you go back and listen to it again, all the signs were there. 
there was a twist ending to this podcast. And it's M. Night Shyamalan's. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's, I'd rather. April Fool's, M. Night Shyamalan's a good director. There it is. <laughs> it's there's out of the, the day as well. Um, but Once and Fargo, those are two re-releases that are okay. coming out this week. Wow. Obviously, Once. I meant to pick up Fargo. Yes, Fargo. Obviously, coming out as a miniseries on FX in two weeks. Which should be cool. I'm, I'm down with that. So I think the I haven't really been down with the new From Dusk Till Dawn series, so I'm hoping okay. Fargo is better for me. It looks great. And again, I think because it's a miniseries, it's not like they're exploiting it and trying yeah. to stretch it out. I think they're just trying to update it and do something really interesting with it. And, and use the really wonderful cool. platform of TV, which is you know, obviously the new cinema, right? Who doesn't watch TV? And uh, <laughs> Everyone the new going on. to the movies. But, you know, to to really explore those crazy, yeah. kooky characters in that premise, which sure. has, you know, obviously been a phenomenon. If you haven't seen Fargo, everyone go pick up right now. Um, I, mean. I think it's just a great movie just to rewatch, obviously, and to have in your collection. And, and Once as well. Um, it's like a how-to manual for some filmmakers, obviously. Yeah, obviously, Coen, the Coen brothers. It was, and I think it was back before the Coen brothers were... Yes, everyone knew who they were and, and enjoyed their work, but I think it was... Back which is ninety six, right? It was back before they were really uh, had the huge following. This was them the, the coming into their own. Yeah, and so that's why it's it's also great to watch. Um, and so yes, I, I recommend once as a Blu Ray to pick up. Yeah, it came out in two thousand seven. Not that long ago. And this little sing songy movie for people. Yeah, it's just if you look at the budget that they had for it, and they had two unknowns, and just how phenomenal the music is. And they are playing that music themselves. They wrote the music themselves. It's just such a beautiful story. And as we know, it spawned a Tony Award-winning musical. And uh, won an Oscar for Best Original Song, yeah. Falling Slowly. So check that out. Uh, there's also 47 Rowan. So you should check that out. Just don't check that <laughs> I have to that, mention That'd be a bad idea. Now, I didn't see it. I want to know, is it oh, as bad God. as yeah, people say? Oh, terrible. Why do you need Keanu Reeves in a Kung Fu movie? Where he's the only American dude just hanging out there. He doesn't do any of the fighting. He's like, I mean, he does some stuff, but it's just like Keanu. What are you doing in Japan? It stuff. really bothers you me are. that I, Man of Tai Chi just came out. I like out Man and of Tai nothing. Chi. Yeah. I, That's I, the thing. I would have rather amazing. that have gotten the wide release that 47 yeah. Ronald did, because that was just silly. I, was I'm just so bummed, because the fighting in that, again, talk about fighting that looks like a dance. But, and there's a reason. Like, the I don't, plot was great. Yeah. It, I don't get why they made 47 Ronald as, like, an American release when it had nothing to do with anything. Like, yeah. go overseas and make your... Give it to right, a right. proper director. Right. I, uh, I don't want to talk about it. I Just know, don't no, go I, see it. It really bums me out that Mayo uh, Tai Chi didn't get, get beloved serves. I, I hope Keanu gets to direct more because I really did dig Mayo Tai Chi. And again... It, 47 Ronin was just as silly and so dumb we'll use, as you can. We'll use the release of 47 Ronin to then mention, because that was way before we started doing this podcast, to mention that yeah. if you have a second to watch something on VOD or Blu-ray or whatever, check out Mayo Tai Chi instead of 47 Ronin. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Force, it just, that's, the, that's my it best. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Period. There's no reason why it should have been made the way it was made. And on that note, I am Matt Donato. You can follow me at Donato Bomb. And I am Justine Browning at Just Browning. And this is I'd rather be at the movies. And sometimes watching TV. And boozing. <laughs> Everyone who boozes.